Ephesians 5, um, verses 3 to 21. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything, is exposed by, by the, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And speak, uh, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Madush. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Trinity Church. Now, please, will you keep that passage open in front of you as we take a look at it now? And if you've joined us to celebrate uh, Lucas's baptism, it is really lovely to have you. A very, very warm welcome to you. Uh, let us pray as we listen to God speaking. Uh, gracious Father, we praise you for Lucas and for his family. We pray that you would empower us to support Martim and Rebecca as they raise him in the truth. We long that he would grow to love you. And we ask now that as we turn to Scripture, you would renew us by your word and by your spirit. Amen. How can you live a full Christian life? How do you know that you've got God's power to fulfill his purpose for you? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that Christians are God's handiwork. We're made by God. Recreated then in Christ to do good works. In other words, God made us for a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works. Now, I like it when things work, when they do what they're supposed to. I find it really frustrating when they don't. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent trying to get printers to print. You'd think it would be easier. Now, I have a work glove over here. It's pretty good. seems to be reasonable quality uh, and looks fairly sturdy. It's made 
to do hard work, right? Hard labor. But I think I've got a dud. I've tried it out, and it just doesn't work. You see, I leave it over here. There's a hammer over here. You may not be able to see it. You will be able to see it if the glove does its job. But there it is. I've, I've, I've even helped the glove by putting it next to the hammer. And I've tried everything. I've tried to be gentle. I've tried to be stern. I've tried to encourage it along. But whatever I keep saying to it, it just refuses to pick up the hammer. It won't lift a finger. Now, I don't know how I can be expected to get any work done with that sort of a glove. Thank you very much, Jeremy. He's the one who gave it to me. Well, we'll come back to my dad glove. How can you live a full Christian life? How can you fulfill God's purpose for you? How can this glove do its job? Well, you may remember the now famous butterfly squish, right? You, you put a bit of ink on one side of a paper, you fold it in half, and you get a mirror image on the other side. If you put the ink in the right places, it comes out looking like a butterfly. Now, on one side in Ephesians, we have the truth that we've learned from the first half of the book, that we are included in God's plan and given a brand new identity. On the other side is the mirror, the call to live according to this truth, to be what we've become. Now remember that Ephesians is all about God's plan to unite all things under Christ. We've said that again and again and again as we've gone through the series. That's what God is up to. That's what he's been doing across the universe and throughout human history. The wonderful news is that by faith, people like us are included in that plan. And because we are included, God lavishly blesses us in Christ. Now, one dimension of that is how God makes dead people alive. By his great power, he brings us under Jesus' rule, and we are given a new identity as his people. That is the truth that we're being called to live according to here in chapter 5. In other words, chapter 5 is the mirror of the beginning of chapter 2. Now, it's not simply saying to us, see and do. Here's the truth, now go off and do it. Dead people don't have that kind of power. No matter what I say to this glove, however much I encourage it, it is just not going to pick that hammer up. But by God's power, we're made alive. By God's power, the truth of the gospel, the, the truth of all that he is for us in Jesus, changes us. Our thinking and our desires are renewed. We stop living as dead people, and instead we live as what we have become, those who are alive. Let me show you that from chapter 5. First, we are not who we once were, so don't join idolaters. You can see it in verse 7, if you have that open in front of you. It says, don't be partners with them. Look at the life it describes again. I'll read from verse 3. But among you, 
there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are not proper for God's people, for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Those are also out of place. See, that's how we used to live when we were dead. Left to our own devices, we reject God and what God wants for us. We don't believe that he's good or that he has our best interests at heart. And so we go our own way. We live to satisfy what our hearts want. Greed speaks of desires which are bent out of shape and have gotten out of control. You see, we are worshipers. We either worship God or we worship our desires. We either love God and follow him or we love our desires and follow them. And when we follow sinful desires, they control us. They turn us into false worshippers, the idolaters that are described here in chapter 5. Now, if that's us, we have no place in Christ's kingdom. Uh, look at where it leads, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath his righteous, settled anger against sin. God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Now, do you remember the same language from chapter 2? Uh, turn back a page. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's how we lived controlled by our desires, following the ways of the world, believing the lies of the devil. And so at the end of verse 2, we are described as those who were disobedient. And therefore, at the end of verse 3, we were deserving of God's wrath. The same language is here. We are being reminded of what we were. How is it possible to live without even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed? Isn't that just part of what it means to be human? Well, according to this, no. No, that is a part of dead humanness. If you're a Christian, that's who you were. But that is not who you are. So don't join the people around you who live like that. We are neck deep in a culture that celebrates sexual immorality and greed. In popular culture, those are not things to be embarrassed by. Those are expressions of the real you. They show your passion, your ambition, and your drive. And so we are told not to suppress those desires, to just be ourselves. Well, God says, verse 6, don't let anyone deceive you. Dead people live like that, and they will rightly be held accountable. Instead, be thankful that you are now in Christ's kingdom. You were dead. But chapter 2, verse 4, 
because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And so chapter 5, verse 4, we are called to be thankful. See, if by faith you depend on Jesus for your life, then you are a new person. You have a new identity. Isn't that amazing? Well, that leads us to our second point, that we must remember our new identity and so live as children of light. You see, the image changes now to one of darkness and light. It's there in verse 8. We read it earlier. You were once darkness. You were dead. But now you're alive. Now you are light in the Lord. See, that little phrase at the end, in the Lord, is emphasizing two things for us. In the Lord is another way of saying in Christ. And that's the way the Bible speaks about our connectedness to the Lord Jesus. By faith, we are joined to him. It's the basic truth of our new life. It's because we are in Christ that we have died with him and been raised to life with him. It is in Christ that the Holy Spirit applies all the benefits of Jesus' saving work to Christians. But that little phrase is also emphasizing that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now let me remind you of what the end of chapter 1 says. It says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything. It's reminding us that Jesus rules. He's not only in control, he has a legitimate claim on our lives. Being alive, living in the light, looks like submitting to Jesus, who is our Lord. Now that word submit has picked up a fairly bad reputation in popular culture. It suggests being weak, being pushed around or exploited by someone more powerful. In a world where we prize individual freedoms and independence, it's not always easy to see how submitting can be good. Well, that's one of the lies that dead people believe. Yes, power in the hands of the wicked can be a terrible thing. But here's the truth. God is good. And God exercises his authority for our good. I take a look at the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We are called to imitate God, to be like him, as dearly loved children. To live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. How does he exercise his authority? In love. In love, he lays down his life for his beloved. That's us, the church. And then he lavishly blesses us with more than we can possibly imagine. This is good authority. It's what we need the most. And so resurrection life is lived in the light 
under the lordship of Jesus. What does that look like in practice? Well, it's there in verse 10. We live to please the Lord. We long to know his heart so that we can honor him and show him love. What does it produce? Not immorality, impurity, and greed, but as verse 9 describes it, goodness, righteousness, and truth. The two don't mix. The living as a habit don't hang out in morgues. That would be weird. Light and darkness don't go together. One will always overwhelm the other. And so we're called not to be partners with them. Don't join in that kind of living. Now, I had a hard job this week. I had to uh, try somehow to capture some darkness. Uh, but with some ingenuity, I managed to get it into this box. And so in here, I have a box of darkness. Now, it's hard for you to tell that, isn't it? So, I made a little window in this box. If I can peel this off. Now, it's still pretty hard for you to see. Uh, but hopefully, if you try and look through that little window, can you, can you see the little window? You, you try and look through it. Does it look dark? Yes, good. It's still in there. It hasn't escaped. Um, now, I've also brought some light. Okay? And so we're going to have a little physics experiment. Uh, but you have to tell me what you think is going to happen. What happens if I shine light into this box? What will you see out the window? Light. Was that Adam? Did you get it? I feel like for answering a physics question at this hour of the day, you get to have a prize. I, I hope you can catch this. Oh, one, one pew too close. Okay, well, let's, let's test that out, okay? Um, I have some light here. Um, we're going to see if that works, right? Is there, is there light coming through there? Yeah, yeah, it's there. Okay. Brilliant. I'm glad physics hasn't failed me. Um, now, that is really silly, isn't it? But it's obvious. It makes the point. And that is exactly what this text is saying. Look at verse 11. So you have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's answering the question of how we as Christians should relate to the world. It's telling us, don't withdraw and keep yourself separate. And it's saying to us, don't just jump in and live like everyone else. Instead, it's saying to us, shine on those in darkness. Expose the darkness. See, having been brought to life, having God's resurrection power at work in us, being renewed by the Holy Spirit, Christians live noticeably different lives. Purity stands out. We declare the truth of God's plan to unite all things under Christ to a world that is listening. Yes, we are at risk of tolerating or being influenced by sin. But we have been given the light of Christ. And his light is too brilliant for us to contain. It sheds light on our own hearts. It lights our paths. But it does more than that. 
It shines on those in darkness. It exposes sin and disobedience for what it is. And it gives people that light. New life through Jesus. See, if you're here tonight, or you're listening online, and you haven't entrusted yourself to Jesus, then will you give him a hearing? Ask the person you came with, or come to me and ask me how you can find out more. What does it mean that Jesus makes us light? Well, therefore, verse 15, be very careful how you live. We must guard our hearts from the influence of the world, yet shine as light into the world. How do we do that? Well, we must be what we have become by being filled with the Spirit. We need wisdom to know what is light and what is darkness and to make the most of every opportunity to expose the darkness, to bring the light of the gospel of Christ into the situation or to the person. In the words of verse 10, we want to find out what pleases the Lord. Or as verse 17 puts it, we want to understand what the Lord's will is. Now verse 18 tells us exactly how. It says, don't be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery. And now that is giving yourself in an uncontrolled way to sex and drunkenness. That is not fitting for God's people. Instead, did you see what it calls us to? Be filled with the Spirit. He's the one who gives us the wisdom of God so that we know what pleases him and can understand his will. He's the one who renews us by God's power. He's the one who empowers our obedience. That's how you live the full Christian life. And that idea of being filled isn't new in Ephesians. In chapter 3, we had the prayer that we would know Christ's love so that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In chapter 4, we saw that worked out. We were told how we are equipped to be truthful in love with each other, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach maturity and get the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you see what chapter 5 is adding to that? We are seeing that that filling is by the Holy Spirit. Now, this idea of being filled by the Spirit has sometimes taken on mystical overtones in the church. Notice what it looks like here. It is very simple and very practical. It's helpful for me to point out though, here that verse 18 to verse 21 is all just one sentence in the original. The command comes in verse 18. It is to be filled. And all the verbs that follow in the rest of the sentence just show us what that filling involves. So first, verse 19, 
It involves speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Second, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. Third, verse 20, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. And fourth, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what being filled by the Spirit involves. See, being filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit, and to be under His influence. He enables us to live very careful lives under the authority of God's Word. He's the one who enables the full life. Now, notice in all of those descriptions that we cannot be filled by the Spirit on our own. It's a task for the whole church. It happens through the preaching of God's Word and public worship, as we're doing here tonight. It happens through reminders and encouragements as friends get past the small talk and apply the truths of the gospel to each other in the messiness of everyday life. It happens as we speak scripture to each other. That's what speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs entails. See, the thing that makes our gatherings distinctively Christian is that we speak Scripture. That's God's truth about Jesus. That's what we speak to each other. And that's why if you've been at Trinity Church for a little time, you'll know that there are countless opportunities for us to talk to each other before our Sunday gathering, during the gathering, afterwards, in our midweek small groups, as we do life together side by side, as we share meals around a table. It happens as we sing together, reminding each other of the truths of the gospel. It happens when, as we are reminded of our new identity and all that we have in Christ, the thing that bubbles up out of our hearts is thanksgiving. It happens as day by day, we live as if Jesus is Lord, submitting to his rule. In other words, we are filled as we trust and obey, as we love and rejoice. We are hearers as the rest of the church speaks and sings the truth to us. We are hearers and doers of God's word. That is how God renews us. That's how God empowers us. That's how he fills us. Now, do you remember my dad glove? It still doesn't work, in case you were wondering. It's designed for work, but it just doesn't do its job. See, the only way that this thing is going to work is if it comes alive, right? If another power comes along and animates it and gives it life, 
And then behold, it suddenly has this amazing ability to kind of move around. And it can actually pick up tools and do useful things with them. Uh, suddenly the impossible has become possible. And the same is true of us. We can only live as children of light if by God's power we are filled by his spirit. That looks like speaking and singing. It looks like giving thanks. It looks like submitting to the Lord in daily life. So let that shape your week. Start doing it right away. We'll have an opportunity to sing in a moment. Sing with thanksgiving in your heart. And sing to each other. And then stay and chat. Catch up. But then talk scripture. A talk about Ephesians 5. A talk about how it intersects with your life and your experiences. Come along to small group on Tuesday evening. And think about ways in which you can do life with each other this week. And then be deliberate in the conversations you have. Be what you've become as you are filled with the Spirit. Let me pray for us as we close. Father in heaven, we long to be filled with your Spirit and live as children of light. Strengthen us to speak and sing and enjoy Scripture with each other. Help us to live day by day as if Jesus is Lord. Amen.